Greetings. My name is Galen O'Dell. Alongside Blake Schmida. And welcome to the American Valor Podcast. On the American Valor Podcast, supported by the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award Foundation, our goal is to educate and inspire with acts of valor that embody the traits which National Baseball Hall of Famer and United States Navy Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller lived by. Citizenship, service above self, and commitment to country in a time of great national need. On today's episode, we are joined by Richard Schmidt, a U.S. Army veteran and a native of the great state of Maine. Richard, welcome to the American Valor Podcast. Thanks for having me. To start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your current job description, and the community that you're brought up and currently live in? Yeah, sure. So I am uh, Richard Schmidt the third. actually. I work for a local community bank here in Maine. The bank actually started in Patton, Maine back in 1918. They now have grown throughout the entire state of Maine, from Fort Kent to the greater Portland area. My office is at their branch in Patton. I went to work for them in 2006. Uh, My current job is I work in their retail lending department. Primary responsibility is underwriting mortgage applications or for folks that may apply to buy a car or, or, or a home or an ATV, you know, things of that nature. So I do live in Patton, about four and a half miles out of town. This is where I was born and raised. Went to college in Presque Isle, Maine. Joined the Maine Army National Guard out of high school. So got to travel and see a bit of the country and the world through those experiences. I am married with two children. My wife is also a volunteer and supporter of the Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation. She teaches at our local school district here in Stacyville. Our two children are 12 and 14, so we stay busy. That's great. We know that previously you said you had joined the Army National Guard, and I was just wondering if you could tell us what inspired you to join. Well, besides the recruiter, the local recruiter being very good at his job, there was a group of us out of high school, some family and some really close friends that we all decided to join around the same time. And again, besides the obvious thing that the recruiters sell and in terms of the benefits, the National Guard was was intriguing um, because of the ability to serve part-time for not only the military in the country, but also your community, but also still have the flexibility to be at home, to go to college. So that was a part of it. Also the patriotism, that was a huge thing for me personally, just, just wanting to to kind of step outside of my comfort zone, maybe maybe have an opportunity to be something, be a part of something bigger than myself. And I've also, and I also had family that had served in the military as well. So yeah, that was, that was it. And I was told shortly after joining that, uh, you know, the great thing about the military is, is, is you're going to have the experiences, see some of the world, but it's also going to give you some of the best feelings in your life. And it's also going to give you uh, some of the worst. And 
that proved to be the truth um, over my nine plus years of of service. So, Richard, we also know that you served in Operation Iraqi Freedom back in 2004. We were wondering if you'd like to share any of your experiences with us. Yeah, well, yeah, we were, I was part of the artillery battalion in Northern Maine at the time, four batteries. I was part of the Bravo battery out of Holton at the time. And yeah, so we were, we got called, Department of Defense, National Guard Bureau called, you know, at the time there was, you know, the state of Maine in particular, certainly really gave their fair share of, of service to this global war on terrorism. So originally, they decided to form a company, a military police company, out of this artillery battalion, which was interesting. I mean, you had a lot of, a lot of guys from northern Maine that, that had been artillery all their lives, and now we were being called upon to serve in the global war on terror. Um, originally, we were told because I think that's what was believed at the time from the chain of command that we were going to Camp Bagram in Afghanistan. That's what we were told originally. But then soon after we learned that we were going to go to to Baghdad, which we were actually in Abu Ghraib at the prison was where we ended up, which was in between Baghdad and Fallujah, Fallujah to the West, Baghdad to the East. So yeah, it certainly was an experience. We we uh, it was quite a shocker to all of us. I was I was working full time for the Active Guard and Reserve at the time. So I was part of the ones uh, we found out, and then we had to we had to call all the rest of the soldiers throughout the battalion to let them know that 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 we had received word that we were going to be activated. So again very unique experience for for us at that time and um operation iraqi freedom 2 it was and uh we got to abu Ghraib prison in february of 2004 and we left there and in, in uh in february of 2005 we left there to come home and thankfully everyone in our unit that went was able to return home we served with the I think, I believe it was the 391st MP Battalion out of Ohio. That's who we were under at the time. And, you know, little did we know uh, what we were coming into, but a very short time after we had got there was when, was when the news of the abuse scandal broke. So that was interesting. But it was, we were very, looking back on it, I think we knew it at the time, but of course, perspective looking back on it, we were very lucky that, that we were able to go with the group of people that we were all very familiar with. We, we got to know one another. We, we had served with each other in Northern Maine as, again, as part of the artillery battalion for, for many years. So that was the good thing is we were able to go and be with the folks that we had got to know through our service and in the Maine Army National Guard. And, and I think that turned out to be, to be very important. So, yeah, it was uh, for a group of guys from northern Maine, uh, most of which were lifelong National Guard soldiers, to have that experience was was different. You know, you're leaving the, the 20th century and it almost feels like you're going back into the to the 14th or 15th century. It was an experience. 
Yeah, I'll bet. Since you guys weren't used to going on deployments overseas, especially to a country like Iraq where the culture is very different, and like you mentioned, it feels like you're living in a totally different century. So I'm sure at the same time, you guys were in for some culture shock. Oh yeah, it surely was. And we were, you know, we, like I said, we were Operation Iraqi Freedom too. So it, it was, uh, we were literally falling in on the battlefield at that particular time in February of 2004. And then, and then of course, um, you know, our primary job was to be at the prison and serve as military police guards, you know, at the various prison complexes within Abu Ghraib. But, you know, you always uh, get tasks for extra duty, whatever that may be. So, so we had some, some opportunity there, but primarily, like I said, we were, we were based right there at the prison and yeah, the culture differences are, are amazing. And, you know, we were not to act as the judge and the jury. We were there to do a very specific job, and that was to take care of the prisoners and, and, and keep them secure wherever they were coming from or why ever they, they were there. And it was interesting because they were, many of them spoke English, many of them didn't. Some of them that probably did, <laughs> didn't let on that they knew, but it was interesting at times. And, and I think, you know, we, like I said, we were falling in on, we had no idea what we were coming into in terms of the abuse scandal itself. And I think looking back on it, you know, we were able to serve, serve honorably and do our jobs and able to deal with that storm that came upon us shortly after we landed in country. But I think the whole mission as, as, as a whole with that MP battalion was, was successful and, and we did our jobs and thankfully all of us were able to come home. So. Speaking of MPs, what exactly is the role of the military police within the military in general? Well, to the best of my knowledge, it, it was kind of funny because we learned very quickly that MP stands for I mean, we know officially military police, but kind of the joke is, is that it's, it stands for multi-purpose. <laughs> so, and that's, that's like with any, with anything in the military, like I said, you know, you have your specific jobs and your MOSs, but when it comes right down to it, every soldier is a rifleman or can become a rifleman. But specifically with MPs, I mean, you know, again, our, our specific job there was to guard the prisoners at the prison. But we also did, we went out on the road some to do some transport missions and support missions. And uh, later on, there were, there were some, you know, after the fact from 2005 and beyond, there, there was another unit with a lot of guys, some of the guys that we served with that went back for their second tour that we also, they were part, they were part of various units throughout the main Army National Guard, but they were also MPs. But their primary mission um, at the time was convoy security. So they were on the road. They put on a tremendous amount of miles throughout the year of service in country. So I think MPs, you know, that's part of what MPs do. What we did at the prison is part of what MPs do. Uh, I think when they're serving at home in the United States at different bases, you know, whether it be Leavenworth or whether, whether you go to any military installation, 
you know, much like a civilian community, you'll see, you'll see uh, MPs that are there at the gates, letting people in and out of the military installations. They're also driving the police cruisers around, patrolling the bases like the local police do throughout some of our communities and, and also dealing with anything that they have to deal with, with any of their fellow service members in uniform. So again, a pretty wide variety of different things they do, depending on where they're at and, and maybe what they're being called on to do for any specific mission when it comes to their service. So hopefully I was able to answer your question, but that's, like I said, I, I was not, I did not come into the military as, an, as a military police. So, so I'm speaking based on what I've learned in my experiences only. Speaking of your previous experiences, could you tell us how you found out about the Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation and why you were inspired to get involved? Yeah, sure. Well, I, a fellow community member first approached me about it because she was trying to help the foundation with some grant writing. So, and I had worked with this person previously. Like I said, I I live in a, in a small town in Northern Maine, probably somewhere around a thousand people population. So, you know, everyone knows everyone, right? So, but this particular individual has done a lot of grant writing for the town of Patton as well. So she, she kind of got involved to see, you know, if she might be able to help in any way with the foundation. So she kind of approached me and said, Richard, have you heard anything about this, this foundation that Steve Curtis is a part of? And, and I know who Steve Curtis is. Uh, I know his family. My wife had his kids in school. Um, you know, my parents know them. So again, the small town thing. And, and I said, no, I haven't. So she told me about it. I got invited to sit in on a Zoom call and uh, kind of one thing led to another. And knowing, you know, then I started researching the foundation, learned that Sergeant Major Curtis being the vice president in, in education chair. So sat in on a few calls, really learned, you know, what the foundation is about with educating our youth, using the game of baseball, honoring current members of Major League Baseball, as well as the past uh, Hall of Fame veterans that had left the game to serve their country in World War II and so on and so forth. So really something that was very easy uh, for me to get behind and learn about, which I continue to do, and support and volunteer and help in any way that I can. You know, got my wife involved because of her her education background, so she's going to help with trying to educate some of the children within the school and, and so on and so forth. So that's really, I'm still new to the foundation, but still learning about it, still helping out. Right now, as we talked about earlier in the call, really focused on on helping with this, uh, get this main event established to bring awareness to the veteran suicide epidemic, which will also help raise the money for the scholarship program within the foundation. So that's really what we've been focused on over the last couple months. So, and where we go from here, well, time will tell. I mean, hopefully we can establish this main event and make it an annual occurrence. And then uh, look forward to maybe, maybe helping um, any other way that I can within the foundation. Because again, wonderful cause, a lot of great resourceful people who are dedicating a lot of their own time 
and personal resources to supporting our veterans and our military and bringing awareness to some of these great causes. So yeah, it's been fun. Getting back to veteran suicides, as we've seen over the past few days, the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan has been chaotic. As an Army veteran who served in the Middle East, do you think that the current unfortunate conditions in Afghanistan have any impact on depression for our warfighters that could possibly lead to suicide? I do, yeah. It's a very sad state of affairs, and having not served in Afghanistan, but having been in the Middle East, you're right. Again, you know, you're, you're, you're part of me wants to say and believes, you know, just like, just like our own history here in America, what we're built on that those people, you know, at some point they're going to have to be willing to step up and take charge of their own country too. But again, spending 20 plus years, trillions of dollars in countless American lives. I don't know that there's ever going to be a great time or a great way to leave. And of course, I don't know any particulars on when it comes to the intelligence piece and the president's decision to proceed and, and, and how the Pentagon all plays into that. But I do remember reading decades ago i don't know if it was an article in in uh time magazine or where it was but regardless i read an article where they were interviewing president bush the first president bush about his experiences with liberating kuwait through desert storm back in the early 90s and uh the united states army or the united states military excuse me at that time liberating Kuwait and escorting Saddam Hussein and his, his military back into Baghdad. And they asked him, and, and I've never forgotten this, but of course I've had different perspective now through the years. And I remember them asking him, you know, you were, you were in Baghdad. You took them back to Baghdad. Why didn't you keep going or something to that effect? They, they asked him at that time, you know, why didn't you keep going and, and just dismantle them and occupy Iraq and try to stabilize the entire region? And he, his answer was that obviously because that wasn't the mission, but also because he believed that had they done that, that there would be no way out. So again, I can't forget, I can't forget about reading that and hearing about that. And I think probably the same holds true with Afghanistan is that, you know, how do you get out? I mean, obviously it makes me angry to watch the television and and see the Taliban now take possession of all of our military equipment and arms that we had. So I can't help but wonder why wouldn't we have gotten that stuff out or how, but again, it'd be very easy for me to sit, sit back here and and play the Monday morning quarterback and and second guess because I certainly am not a, I'm not a specialist on on Middle East policy or, or anything in terms of the politics and so on and so forth. But in terms of of how it must make some of the Afghan Afghanistan veterans and their family, unfortunately, particularly the families of those that that paid the ultimate sacrifice in Afghanistan, how they how they must feel, I, I, I can only imagine uh, how they must feel. 
And I know as it was in Iraq, it's, it's got to be the same in Afghanistan, right? There were a lot of people in Afghanistan. There's a lot of good people throughout Afghanistan and throughout Iraq. You know, we spoke earlier about the cultural differences. Sure, they're stark. They're different. But there are people over there who want better lives, who want to see their country make progress. And I feel for those folks that are left behind also because I, I really... You know, I read a letter recently where someone talked about, you know, what it would take for me or you or members of our families to chase and cling on to a taxiing C-17 transport aircraft and grasping harder as the plane speeds up and lifts into the air, all the while knowing that you're going to most likely fall to your death. And then again, how our veterans and their families must feel. So, yeah, in terms of the veteran suicide epidemic. It brings to the forefront of what this foundation and what we're trying to do here in Maine by honoring this service and the sacrifice and bringing attention to the epidemic itself. I mean, it's a staggering statistic, right? 22 plus per day. That's sad. It shouldn't be. That shouldn't be happening in America. So anything that we can do to bring awareness, to bring honor, and to hopefully help these families of these victims, whether they died in action or whether on whether tragically they survived and did their job but came home and found no other option than to take their own lives. So, but regardless, we all seek meaning in the activities in which we engage. And that's no different for us as civilians, and it's certainly no different for our veterans. And regardless of what we're watching on the news or what we're seeing. They serve their country honorably, their service matters, their sacrifice matters, and they should be proud of it, regardless of the current situation. So so the timing, yeah, it's pretty critical right now to what we're doing, what the foundation's doing in New York, what we're trying to establish here in Maine to bring awareness and, and support these folks, without a doubt. And speaking of time, especially right now, it's important to say to all veterans who served, particularly to those who served in the Middle East, that, listen, despite some of the unfortunate events, your efforts and the sacrifices that you guys have made certainly were not in vain, and we're forever grateful for your service to the United States. And so that's why you had to echo your comments, Richard, that it's important that we have an event like the walk for valor to show that they definitely are not alone and this is a buddy check so speaking of which as you already mentioned you were going to be having the 5k run for life on september 18th in Patton, maine and you guys call it the main event for military suicide awareness can you tell us a little about the event and how others can participate either in person, virtually, or even contribute financially if they wish to go that route? Yeah, absolutely. So it is the 3.1 mile 5K run for life on September 18th, right here in Patton, as you said, for the military suicide awareness and uh, all money raised. Uh, net proceeds, all net proceeds is earmarked within the foundation for their scholarship award program for military families, veterans, spouses, so on and so forth. So, so yeah, um, anyone that is willing to 
participate in the event can register on the Act of Valor Award uh, website. We are posting um, every few days on social media, Facebook with different links for people to go to and register for the event if they want to participate. So it's $34, I think, with fees and everything to register to either walk or run their choice. They can also, there is a spot on the site where they can go and sponsor or support Steve Curtis. Command Sergeant Major Curtis is going to be running. So there's an opportunity for them, for anyone that may not want to participate, but may want to pledge support to Steve. Of course, there's a link for anybody who who may want to also support the Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation you know, just the general fund can also support in that way too. So yeah, you know, we've had some help from the foundation's marketing folks um, with the different flyers and posters. We've gone around throughout the town of Patton and uh, have already been able to secure some corporate sponsorships for this event. Still working on some of those. So yeah, there are a number of different ways that people can become involved. Um, we're going to have volunteers for the day of the event and, and hopefully we'll have some good some good registration numbers for the participation. But then also I know we're receiving support for folks that may not be available to participate on the day of the event, but they're certainly behind the cause and the foundation's mission for this particular event. So, so yeah, it's uh, coming up on us fast, but Great, again, great team of people within the foundation, volunteers, locally, corporate sponsorships, you know, team effort, been able to really, really bring this together in in a short time, but really looking forward to building upon it in years to come. Well, Richard, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you not only for your service to our country by serving in the Maine National Guard, but Thank you for helping us out with organizing a very important event for a very special cause, especially one that's needed right now, given the current events. Yeah, well, you're very welcome. And thank you, folks, for everything that you're doing within the foundation, too. And, and again, just lastly, the four pillars of duty, respect, selfless service and honor are as important today as ever. And without your folks' help, you know, we wouldn't be able to acknowledge and support the sacrifices made by service members, veterans, and their families. So, again, hopefully we'll be able to get some participation, bring awareness to this, grow the event, educate our youth, and really do some good things, not only this year, but in years to come. So, appreciate the opportunity, and thanks again. To our listeners, this conversation with Richard Schmidt concludes this episode of the American Valor podcast. To register for the Walk for Valor and Run for Life events in Calverton, New York, or Patton, Maine, or make a donation to this important cause, please visit our website at activevalorward.org and click on the event banner. This conversation was brought to you by the Bob Feller Active Hour Award Foundation, the Department of the Navy, Major League Baseball, USAA, BWXT, 
Huntington Ingalls, and the Cleveland Indians. Please leave your comments in the comment section below and connect with the Bob Fowler Active Hour Award Foundation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Active Hour Award. You can engage with the foundation at ActiveHourAward.org. There, you can learn more about Bob Feller, Jerry Coleman, recent nominees of the awards, view pictures, and sign up for updates, including the American Valor podcast, and more. For Blake Schmida and everyone here at the American Valor podcast, I'm Galen O'Dell. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.